Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Great to be here today on this sparkly, shiny, blue sky day in Seattle. Boy, she sure is pretty when she wants to be. I can see the mountains across, uh, past downtown skyline, and I think what a fantastic day to take your dog for a walk. Really. They really, most of them are anyway, but... I gotta agree with that, Julie. So... Great show today, as always. Um, excited to talk with Jane Sobel-Klonsky about her book, Unconditional, Older Dogs, Deeper Love. Before we talk with Jane, I want to give a big, big thank you to our show sponsors. We have St. John Creamery, which is a local farm that offers <clears throat> raw goat's milk for dogs, which is one of my favorite ways to beef up the nutritional value of your dog's food, regardless of whether you make your dog's food or you feed uh, raw food or freeze-dried food, or if you have to feed kibble, especially one of the best ways to add some nutritional value to that is to add raw goat's milk to your dog's food. And uh, we live in Western Washington, and so we like local, and that would be St. John Creamery. You can find them at Many independent pet stores around Western Washington, also online, stjohncreamery.com, and that's stjohncreamery.com. And, of course, a big thank you to Farm Dog Naturals, really wonderful small line of skincare products, uh, household cleaner, aromatherapy. Um, We love all of their products. Use them all at home. And you can save 15% off your order at farmdognaturals.com with the coupon code DOGRADIO, all one word. That's 15% off your entire order of Farm Dog Naturals from their website with the coupon code DOGRADIO as you check out. And again, that's farmdognaturals.com. Our friends at City Dog Magazine are um, throwing one of their mutt mixers, Puppy Love Mutt Mixer, in honor of Valentine's Day, of course. Uh, This will be at the Maxwell Hotel, and it is Saturday, February 18th from 3 to 6 p.m. Of course, bring your dog and have some fun. You can get more information at citydogmagazine.com. So we have from one of my favorite states outside of Washington, of course, from Vermont, we have Jane Sobel-Klonsky with us on the phone, and she is the author of a book titled Unconditional Older Dogs, Deeper Love, Celebrate the Special Relationship Between Old Dogs and the People Who Love Them. Jane, welcome to The Dog Show. It's great to be here. Thanks, Julie. Yeah, so you've got this really wonderful book that you have created and um, are also uh, the energy behind Project Unconditional and really advocating for old dogs. And um, you've got a couple of events coming up in Seattle um, this weekend also, which <clears throat> you'll be doing some book signings, I anticipate. Uh, Elliott Bay Book Company in Seattle on February 16th at 7 p.m. And Third Place Books in Lake Forest Park on February 17th at 6.30 p.m. And these uh, and Fosters from Old Dog Haven will be at both events with dogs to talk about their work. 
And um, how fun is that? So we're excited to have you in the area and um, excited to have you on the show today to talk about your inspiration and your connection with old dogs, one of my favorite topics. Good. So how did you, you know, tell us a bit about the book, Unconditional, and what was your inspiration? So I think my inspiration, um, okay, I've been a photographer for at least 30 years, 35 years. Um, It's just been my profession, my passion. I've always had dogs, at least two dogs. I've always wanted to do something to combine my passion for dogs and photography, Mm -hmm. and I just couldn't figure out what it was. Mm -hmm. You know, it just sort of sat in the back of my mind for years. And then one day, um, I kept on coming up with silly ideas, and they just didn't quite work, like people who look like their dogs, you know, (laughs) things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, that wasn't working for me. So one day in 2012, in April of 2012, of all things, I'm sitting in my insurance broker's office. So I'm sitting with Angela, you know, and she and her big old bulldog, Clementine, is in, in the, lying in her bed right next to Angela's desk, her chair. And Angela had her arm outstretched and her hand on Clemmy's side. And it was just like a little light bulb went off. It was like, oh, I know what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Is I want to document the relationships that people have with their dogs. At the time, it wasn't old dogs that I was thinking of doing. It was just that special relationship and that love that flows back and forth. Mm-hmm. So I asked Angela if she would be my first subject. And you know, I didn't really know her well. And she said that she would, but that Clementine had just been recently diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. so didn't have very long to live. So fast forward, we photographed the next day. And the pictures were just poignant and lovely. Clementine lived another 10 months, which is wonderful. But it was because of those pictures and how just wonderful and that, that love that I saw that flowed back and forth with this. And Clementine was 13 years old. That it was just, okay, I knew what I wanted to do again. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was document the relationship that we have with our older dogs. And, and I, I had no idea at the time, yeah. Julie, that, that it was going to become a book. It was just a passion. And I needed to follow my passion. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. And there's something so, I think, you know, old dogs, yes. And and then also, you know, when you get into a, a, a the, the level of hospice, you know, that phase of life, really close close to end of life. And... And it's such a sacred time, you know. It's it's a it's a it's a hard time for for us to to have to go through and sort of face. But you know, I really feel a very sacred time as well, and um, to really be present to our dogs as they um, as they go through their their very end of life process, I think is such an honor. Oh, I I totally agree, and I think I think when I started this project, I had no idea. I, I wasn't that involved in the senior rescue community. I became more involved as the process went on, and I beca- and I found out about these hospice programs, and I, I just I was like amazed that you know how beautiful it was that the people that 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 became fosters or mm-hmm. adopted these, these took care of these hospice dogs that yeah. it brought them so much joy. It yeah. was it wasn't that they were just taking care of a dog till a dog's last last breath it was this dog was really giving a lot to the people who took care of them mm-hmm. you know it, it just taught them so much you know they were about you know caring and compassion and responsibility and they w- wanted to do whatever they could to make the ending as beautiful as it could be yeah you know it was just 
unbelievable. Yeah. It's a way to really val- show value of, of life and, 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 like I said, kind of honor that. And, you know, one of the things that's so amazing about Old Dog Haven is they will, you know, it doesn't matter how much time the dog has left. It could be days, it could be months, and it could be years. Um, our Old Dog Haven final refuge dog, Lois, was um, thought to be actually a hospice dog. And she is... Uh, she has been with us now for almost three years, <laughs> so we were amazing? we were really and able to witness her really i mean turn around in given the care and she lost about half her body weight in in fat, and you know that always helps too and uh so we I just tell her every day you know every day is a gift that we have every day is every a blessing day is a gift. yeah so I've heard that over and over and over yeah. That- some, you know, that, that people come home and they have, you know, a hospice dog. And then all of a sudden this dog, it's like they know they're being rescued. They know they're in a safe place. They know they're getting love. And and so for a dog, as you said about yours, that, that you think, oh, maybe have weeks or days to live. Like a year later, they're still, you know, they're happy. Yeah. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're being loved and cared for. Yeah. It's very beautiful. What is there something, is there an awareness that you're hoping to bring in, in, you know, that isn't there in the general public that you think? So what is, what is the message of the book? What are you hoping people will take away from it? I think for me, it's, it's not only about us and our, and our dogs. I think it's also about what's important in life, maybe trying to keep things simpler um, yes, I, I'd love for people to, you know, sort of take a deep breath and spend more time with their dogs and appreciate their their pets um, and understand and appreciate and, you know, think about the depth of the human-animal bond. Um, I'd like to, you know, raise more awareness for uh, senior rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like people to maybe, you know, hopefully learn more about, you know, responsibility and compassion by reading other people's stories you know, and, and seeing photos, and maybe wanting having them document their own their own life with their own dogs. Mm-hmm. So my work outside of the radio show is in training and behavior, dog training mm-hmm. and behavior, and I work I've worked in the in this field for about fifteen years, and um, one of there's so much that dogs uh, provide us an opportunity for. Um, and, you know, you spoke to some of those things, uh, you know, practicing being present in a world where things move so fast and we are expected in many situations to do many things at once mm-hmm. and think of many things at once. And everything is faster, 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 technology and, you know, all that. And, and when you're working with your dog and communicating with your dog, you, that is most effective when when the person is fully present to just what they're doing and because the dogs are that to us. And when it's amazing to see when the person gets fully present to the dog, the dog knows Mm -hmm. and then is just right there, you know, okay, what, you know, what are we doing together versus if if somebody is maybe going through the motions of working with the dog, but distracted by something else or checking the phone or whatever um, it's really incredible to see that mirrored back. Oh, gosh, I totally agree with you. And I also, you know, carrying that step further, too, you know, all the people that I have photographed and met that, that 
that uh, foster or adopt senior dogs, um, you know, those dogs come and they don't remember, or, you know, that they were in a kennel for so many years or they were out on the streets. It's what's happening in that present second and that day and that time mm-hmm. to the moment. You know, it's all about, as you said, you know, the moment of when we're together in that, that very day. So they're not looking at what happened in the past mm-hmm. or what could be happening, you know, that, that, that death might be on their doorstep. It's not, that's not what it's about. Yeah. It's about the beauty of the moment and experiencing it. No, I, to- I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. It's been really amazing to see how Lois um, has continued to transform as time has continued to march on. You know, we're coming up, uh, coming up on year number three that she's been with us. And, you know, of course, there's the, the, the first year and even the first six months, we we're really getting all that extra weight off of her and, and you know, had her on, on excellent food. Uh, Natural Pet Pantry uh, fed her for two years, which was just amazing. They make this cooked stew that is um, just so good for them and um, really took that weight off effortlessly and gave her just incredible nutrition. And so, of course, we, we saw some physical differences from her. Um, she's, she's a bit, uh, so she's a chow mix and she's, she knows what she she knows what she wants and she knows what she doesn't want and she lets you know you know she's got kind of a strong presence like that we sort of joke because she has this um entitled uh air about her um it, which is uh which, just from the get go you know or she's not, you know she 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 expects the best for herself which which we just sort of sense from her and she has a very regal um sort of uh, noble when she's sitting. She's, uh, you know, she's just got this really lovely presence. And, but she can be edgy too. She's, we've had our challenges with her also and uh, kind of figuring that out, navigating that over the years. And she's really softened. And, you know, as she's continued, continued to settle in and continued to adjust, you know, when you bring in a dog, she was about 12 when we got her. So I, I think it's sort of, you they're they're present and they don't get preoccupied or or think about or um dwell on the past like people do or worry about the future like people do for sure but they're impacted by their life you know and 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 hardship that they've gone through and it can take time for that to sort of you know the layers of that to fall off and and we've just seen her really continue to relax and i'd say the last year especially she's just gotten so soft and it's just incredible. It's a, such a beautiful thing to witness that um, that transformation and how it continues over the years. And it's a important message about giving dogs of any age the time that they need. If they've come from any rescue situation, you know, it takes time for them to get through it, just like it would a human, and to, to be patient and Absolutely. to have, have faith. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I think we also have to, you know, especially in a rescue situation, you know, um, Sort of appreciate these dogs come. You know, they're, they're, they have a lifetime that they've lived, and so they have they have all this wisdom of all this time. I and mean, we need to give them a chance to you know to, to to share that wisdom with us. Yeah, and to you know share that love with us. And, you, know, um, you know, and I've had you know people say you know they've had gotten a twelve year old one a, a woman down in San Diego got twelve year old lab and. Oh, gosh, just a wonderful Walter. I mean, just incredible goofball. And the same thing, had to lose a lot of weight in order to survive. Yeah. It was so 
horrifically overweight. Yeah. Um, um, that it was dangerous. Yep. But, I mean, this dog is doing so well, but she's found it every single day. Walter learned something new. Yeah. Like, well, Walter's never played with toys before in his life. Yeah. So, like, every day. Yeah. New, she's living life like a new experience with Walter. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Old dogs can indeed literally learn new tricks. It's something that people sort of bounce off of me. So so can, or if someone has a two-year-old, it shocks me too, someone has a two-year-old dog. Is it too late? Is it too late to get to you? <laughs> I know. I've worked with 18-year-old dogs before, you know. <clears throat> so um, I want to make sure that we give out your, you know, time goes by so fast when we talk about uh, topics like this. I want to make sure that we give out your information about when you're going to be in town again, uh, in, in town here coming up, Jane, which is... Um, February 16th at 7 p.m., you'll be at Elliott Bay Book Company in Seattle. And on February 17th at 6.30 p.m., you'll be at Third Place Books in Lake Forest Park. And Fosters from Old Dog Haven will be at both events with, uh, and, you know, they'll be talking about their work there. And, and uh, I think uh, Laura Coffey will be joining me at Third Place Books. Oh, wonderful. Which will be great. So yep. we're going to have a nice conversation, and um, and I think at, thir- at uh, Elliott Bay Books, I'm going to give a um, audio visual or a keynote presentation. Oh, wonderful! So it'll be a little bit different. Well, we look forward to having you out to the Pacific Northwest, and I know it'll Thank be you. it'll be warmer than it is in Vermont, probably. Uh, mm-hmm. Jane's beautiful book is titled "Unconditional: Older Dogs, Deeper Love." Uh, what a great thing to pick up, um, and a great gift idea for the dog lover in your life. Jane, thanks so much for your time today, and we'll be back from break with Beth Rivard, who's the director of Prison Pet Partnership Program. This is Julie Forbes. I'm excited to tell you about Farm Dog Naturals, a company that handcrafts herbal remedies for the all-natural dog. Quality and integrity are must-haves for anything that I recommend. Certified eco-friendly and cruelty-free, their products address issues like stress and anxiety, itching, hot spots, crusty noses, as well as pet urine, stains, and odor. Farm Dog Naturals is guaranteed, and I'm so happy with the results I'm seeing. Shipping is available worldwide from their website, farmdognaturals.com, or you can ask for them at a retailer near you. Again, that's farmdognaturals.com. Looking for an easy way to give your dog's food a boost in nutrition? Or maybe your dog has a sensitive digestive tract, itchy skin, or is just a picky eater. We've had such great success feeding St. John Creamery raw goat's milk to our pack, and I recommend it to my clients all the time. You can get raw goat's milk for your dog all over the country, but if you live in western Washington, be sure it's St. John Creamery you reach for in the freezer section of your local independent pet supply store. You can also pick up your milk at drop locations around the area. Visit stjohncreamery.com to learn more. That's stjohncreamery.com. Your dogs will love you for it. Exploring new territory every day. This is Alternative Talk 1150. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. He been the mailman. He sees him every day. He takes one look at you. He want to jump up and play. Now, I ain't got a clue as to what you putting down, but... How come my dog don't bark when you come around? My dog is dangerous. All right, welcome back 
You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And today we have a very, very special guest, Beth Rivard, the director of the Prison Pet Partnership Program. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, So I had the opportunity to um, come down there and uh, take a tour of your facility and sit in on a training class, which was such such a wonderful experience. It's definitely still with me. And um, I am excited to talk to you and um, ask you uh, a lot of questions and just give the listeners um, just general information about what you do in your program and um, and how they can help support it. Sounds great. So um, tell us about, you know, what the what the program is. Our mission is twofold. We provide vocational education to offenders, and we also train service dogs for people with disabilities. We offer, um, through the vocational education program, we have a full-service boarding and grooming facility so people in the community can bring in their animals, dogs and cats, for grooming and boarding. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the service dog part of the program is um, we take in homeless animals from animal shelters and also from rescue groups, and we bring them in and we teach the offenders to train them to be service dogs for people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And um, how was the, when and how was the program founded? The program started in about 1982, um, and it was kind of the brainchild of, of a nun, Sister Pauline Quinn, and also Dr. Leo Bustad from Washington State University. Um, and it was their combined idea of um, how animals are so therapeutic to to each of us that perhaps it would be a good idea to incorporate that into uh, prison. Um, and so the program was started here. It was part at, at the women's um, correctional facility as part of Tacoma Community College. It was a canine program for the offenders. They learned basic anatomy and physiology, did some rescuing of animals from shelters, trained the dogs and sent them back to the shelters for adoption. Um, Eventually, it kind of evolved into training service dogs. And about 1990, um, Tacoma Community College um, lost funding through through the State Department of Corrections, and the focus became more of adult basic education, reading, writing, and arithmetic for the offenders. So the canine program was dropped, but because it was so popular within the institution, um, with the offenders, with staff, and and the community, um, people involved with the program decided to um, make Prison Pet Partnership a private nonprofit organization. Mm. So the nonprofit organization began in 1990. Okay, and is it? It's still that case, and it's still that we're a private nonprofit operating within the uh, walls, so to speak, of the um, of the women's prison. Okay, and you. Are you still not getting state funding? We do have a contract with the um, Washington State Department of Corrections mm-hmm. um, to provide um, vocational education. So we do get some funding. Okay. It's about um, 5% of our overall budget. So we do get some funding for uh, for the educational part of our program. Okay. And um, so you have a... And like, you know, a classroom and actually kennels set up within the facility. Correct. So when you talk about um, 
boarding and grooming and stuff like that, the dogs you actually go into, you know, through the security into Correct. the prison. Yeah. Right. Yes. To, to, um, we have a kennel facility. We have 28 kennel runs, 28 dog kennel runs, and we have the capacity for about 12 cats at this point. Um, and those are for community members that bring their animals in for boarding. They actually come into the facility they meet with an offender um, kind of at a midway point to exchange information about the dog um, or cat. And then the, the offender actually brings the animals down to our kennel facility. Mm-hmm. And that is a way that you create funding for the program. Right. Exactly. It's, a, um, it, it's probably about 35% of our income for, for our budget. Okay. And how much is it uh, for somebody to board their dog or cat? Our boarding is uh, $15 a day for uh, first dog um, and $13 a day for additional dogs, and um, and it's $9 for cats. Okay. And um, so when the dogs come in, it's just similar to um, a boarding kennel, and they right. get um, lots of attention when they're there. Oh, and, yes, and lots. Lots of attention. (laughs) Lots of attention. Yeah, at least um, they get exercised at least um, four times a day. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have eight kennel workers for 28 dogs, so the ratio is pretty good. So they've got lots of time to um, spend with the animals, Mm -hmm. not just walking, but just sitting in the kennel, brushing, Mm -hmm. petting. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. And that's a $15 a day is uh, is a very very competitive rate for boarding. So it's a really great, considering the quality of the care that they're getting, it's definitely right. very oh, cost-effective yeah. way for the community to have their dogs boarded in a, in, a, uh, in a nice place. And it's down, and you guys are down in Purdy, Washington? Right, okay. right, just outside of Gig Harbor. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, so for the, for the service dog training, you take dogs from shelters. Right. So dogs who need homes... And often who haven't had much training. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, or any. That's usually right. part of the reason why they're in the shelters. Right. Um, so how do you, what's the process that you actually go out and find dogs? That's a, it's a pretty intensive process. We have uh, our training coordinator, Grace Van Dyke, goes out to the shelters. Uh, we also have volunteers who have been trained to um, go out to shelters and look for dogs. The selection process is pretty lengthy. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll take the dogs. Uh, most shelters have a get-acquainted area or a get-to-know-me space where we can take the dogs. Um, we'll play ball. We'll um, see if they try to guard resources, food, bones, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, the dogs have to be able to um, be good in any environment, kids, cats, dogs, mm-hmm. um, loud noises, you name it. The animals have to be okay um, once they're placed as a service dog, they have to be pretty fail-proof. Yes. So um, it's a pretty hefty evaluation uh, period, and that's in the shelter. So, you know, we're not really getting a clear view of the dog's personality in the shelter. So many are stressed. or Yeah. Um, so we don't really see what the true dog's personality is like until after they've come in yeah. or, and maybe even several months down the road. So Yeah. And it's a, it's definitely... A matter of having somebody who can have a who has a sense for what might really be lying underneath the stress of right. being you know brought to a shelter and 
And these are young dogs. So that's, you know, dogs of that age have a hard, hard enough time as it is, um, you know, with adolescence and stuff like that. So, so you do the screening process and do some basic testing for, you know, to see how they, how well they tolerate certain things that are requirements. Like right. you said, the resource guarding and, and that kind of thing. And then you bring them in. Once you feel like this dog is a potential candidate to be a service dog, they come in to, um, into the prison and, and then live there. Correct. Okay. Yeah. When, they, when the animals first come in, they're, um, typically we're, we have an isolation area so that they're not, um, they're not boarding in this, in, near the uh, animals that come in from the community, mm-hmm. um, just in case there happen to be any, um, just in case there happen to be any diseases that they may have um, acquired from a shelter. So we isolate them for a period of typically two weeks, mm-hmm. but we assign um, an offender to the dog to start working with the with working with the dog to training, you know, sitting, walking on a leash, mm-hmm. that type of thing. So they can start the bonding process even while they're still kind of isolated from the other dogs. Mm-hmm. And so, how does that? So are there um at any given time, some offenders that are involved with the program who don't necessarily have a dog to work with. Yeah, there are there are times when um, it's just it's either difficult to find an appropriate um, candidate for the program, a dog canine candidate mm-hmm. um, from the shelter. So we may be lower on dogs, or maybe we have just had a graduation, so we don't have a lot of dogs in. So mm-hmm. there there are times when offenders don't have a dog, and there are also offenders that work in the program that may. Um, may not want to also train a dog. Um, the women in our program typically have two jobs. They work in the kennel um, five days a week, and then they go home and they have one or sometimes two service dogs in training. So that's a 24-7 job. So some of the women just have just um, have chosen to either hold off on training a dog for a while, or they may train for a little while and then take some time off and then train again. So yeah. it's um, it's a full-time job. <laughs> and when you say they take them home, that means actually back to a cell? Right. Uh, yeah, back to um, the cell in the in the living units. They have um, typically um, another one roommate plus one or two dogs in the, in the cell with them. And do they typically live with other women in the program? Um, sometimes they live with other women in the program. If we, if they're not living with, um, another offender that's also training, they can have two dogs, but if we have two, um, trainers in the same room, then each trainer can really only be assigned one dog. So Mm -hmm. we like to kind of spread them out a bit so that each trainer can have two dogs. Mm -hmm. So, but it's difficult if there's two trainers in a room, they can't really have four dogs. That's too many in it. Right. Eight by 10. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's just, I mean, the the therapeutic value alone of just having a dog with you all the time. Right. For me, I can totally just imagine, ugh, that would, I would go nuts if I didn't have access to dogs. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm the same way. If I go a weekend without my dog, I'm kind of the same. (laughs) Yeah. And when I go on vacation, you know, my Mm -hmm. dogs are at home and I see dogs on the street. I'm like, oh, I need to go say hi. Yeah, I do the same thing too. Skip the sightseeing. I want to see all the dogs in the town. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this, there's a, what are the qualifications for the offenders to participate in the program? In, in order to um, be involved with the program, uh, the offenders have to have been in the institution at least a year. Um, they have to have at least two years remaining so they can 
get the whole the benefits of um, the, the entire program. Um, they have to um, be major infraction free for a year, m- minor infraction free for ninety days. They can't have a history of crimes against children, animals, seniors, or people with disabilities, and they have to have um, a high school diploma or a GED or be in the process of completing. Once they meet that criteria, we have a class that our kennel supervisor, Rachel Keeler, teaches, and it's a pet care um, technician level one Mm -hmm. class, and they learn everything, basic anatomy and physiology, common diseases in a a kennel environment, customer Mm -hmm. service, um, bookkeeping, record keeping, um, all those types of things, how to operate basically how to work in a kennel. Yeah. Um, once they meet that, um, they have that class, they have a um, final exam, and they have to score 75% or higher on that final exam in order for them to be um, considered um, for employment with the program. Okay, and that's both as a trainer and in the kennel. Correct, yeah. Usually we have the offenders, once we have an opening, we will interview offenders. They have to interview just like mm-hmm. we have to interview for a job. Yeah. And if they um, are selected for the program, they usually start working in the kennel, and they have a 90-day evaluation period in the kennels. And so we can kind of observe how they how they interact with the animals and kind of their dog savvy and dog sense. Yep. And then at the end of that 90-day evaluation period, um, we get together and kind of talk about their we do a, a review, and then if they're interested in training service dogs um, and we think that they, you know, have the ability to be able to live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and handle all of the behavior things that will come their way with an animal, then we'll offer them the opportunity to train service dogs as well. Okay. We're talking with Beth Rivard, the director of the Prison Pet Partnership Program in the Women's uh, Correctional Facility in Purdy, Washington. So we're talking about the uh, service dog training program that they have in the prison um, and that the women actually learn how to um, train dogs and um, and also care for dogs in a kennel environment and um, grooming and boarding. And um, this... Uh, well, I had the opportunity to ask them some questions, um, but what have you seen, um, how have you seen this program transform offenders? I, I think one of the things that I see a lot is just kind of the increase um, in confidence and self-esteem from mm-hmm. the offenders. Mm-hmm. Many of them come into the program and they've never trained a dog or they've had dogs that just kind of run around the yard as family pets and they've really not done a lot of training. Um, but kind of given the opportunity and the and the guidance to teach another living thing how to um, sit or stay or um, follow their lead or or what have you, just they kind of feed off of each other. Once the um, animal learns to do something, the offender gets really excited about what it taught the animal, and then they want to teach more, and the dog wants to learn more. So it just kind of they just kind of feed off of each other in that in that process, which kind of builds the whole self esteem and confidence mm-hmm. in the offenders. Yeah, I would I would imagine that they m- most of the women haven't had the the, um, ex- the experience of themselves as teachers. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's that's really true. Another thing that I I see a lot with the offenders is I 
without having heard this from them, I, I think that they see themselves in the animals. Mm. I think that the dogs are um, often mirrors of themselves. Mm-hmm. These animals are typically um, older um, or juvenile or um, young adult animals that just have kind of wound up in a shelter or mm-hmm. with a rescue group for behavior problems or um, lack of leadership or what have you. And uh, I think that the offenders often see themselves in the dog and where they've been and where they are now. And by working with the dog and proving that the dog can get somewhere and, and move on to help somebody else, and mm-hmm. um, I, I think that they see a lot of themselves in what the dogs can do, provide for others. Yeah, that makes sense, that mm-hmm. they have an awareness that the dogs came from shelters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Aww. And uh, and and how is Stanley doing? Stanley's great. <laughs> Stanley is a, a yellow lab um, mix that's just a love. He just kind of smothers everybody's faces here with kisses whenever they come in. Um, he's um, been in training about three months, four months, and he's likely going to be placed uh, potentially as a therapy dog. Uh-huh. We have several clients on our waiting list um, with autism, and we think that Stanley would be a great match for um, a child or a young adult um, to kind of keep focus yeah. um, and to stay near someone. He's kind of a clinger. So yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. So we're hoping that we can place him in um as a therapy dog. Yeah, he is a special dog, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Um, so with the with the, all the dogs that come in to be potentially service dogs, what's the percentage of that actually graduate to be working service dogs? The um, percentage is about, we're running at about 15% success rate for the um, dogs that we take in, making it as full service dog. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty common um, across the board for um, shelter animals. Uh, training as service dogs, that's a that's pretty common success rate. Uh-huh. Um, the reason that the majority of our dogs don't make it is for behavior reasons, uh, yeah. like high prey drive, ball crazy, cat crazy, yeah. um, or afraid of loud noises or what have you. So those are some of the common reasons that the animals um, in our program don't make it. Um, those programs that do um, train service dogs from puppies have a higher success rate, about 60% or so. Uh-huh. Typically, those dogs fail be- due to medical reasons, yeah. hip or elbow problems or yep. whatever. Um, but obviously, with working with puppies, as you know, working with puppies, they have blank pages, and so they're easily you know, molded to um, become service dogs. But we're working kind of with animals with that already have behavior issues. So yeah. um, it's more it's more of a challenge. Um, those dogs that don't make it as full service dogs, though, we may place as a um, therapy dog. Mm-hmm. Um, they may be placed in a facility. We've got a, a dog that's placed at Tacoma Lutheran Home. Mm-hmm. Um, in Tacoma, we also have a dog at Spokane Veterans Home mm-hmm. as a facility therapy dog. Um, and then dogs that m- wouldn't make it as therapy dogs are placed in um, homes with individuals or family, and we call those our paroled pets. Yeah. 
So regardless of whether they actually graduate to be service dogs, you are, you know, taking these dogs in from shelters and completing the training program to your satisfaction so that they have a higher chance of success once they reenter society as well. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. The same as with the offenders. That's correct. Um, Well, that's great. Um, So... We have a uh, we have uh, someone on the line for you oh, to ask you a question. Great. We have Beryl, so we'll take line one. Hello. Yes. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks um, for calling. Have, oh, you're welcome. Yeah. I have a question for Beth. Mm-hmm. Um, Beth, by the way, congratulations! It's just a fabulous program. I'm I'm just so happy to hear about programs that. Add, add some goodness into the lives of both dogs and women. Oh, thank you. Um, my question is, um, and I forgive me if I've missed this, but I think I've listened to every word of the uh, show. Um, I'm curious about the um, inmates. Have there been um, women who have uh, gone through the program successfully with their dog uh, and been able to transfer this over into an occupation for themselves as, when they leave the system? Oh, absolutely. That's a that's a key part of our program is the vocational education and um, providing marketable job skills to the offenders. Um, because we have offenders who have any range of um, time here in the facility, we we don't have women involved in our program. We usually have maybe one or two getting out over the over a period of a uh, couple years or so. So we don't have a lot of women coming out from our program consistently, but. In the last several years, we've had about four women have, have left our program and have received jobs as groomers. Um, we had one offender was released, and she was working at um, the Humane Society in Whatcom County and has now since moved on to a, a veterinary um, veterinarian in um, the Bellingham area. We have one woman who was a trainer, groomer, kennel worker with us who left the program and um, is now working at the Humane Society in King County. So um, it's definitely an opportunity for women to get jobs once they're released from the program and make a decent wage. And many of them have, many of the jobs that they've received also have medical and dental benefits. So the um, the risk of reoffending is greatly reduced if you have a job and you can provide for yourself and your family. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very impressive. And thank you so much for answering my question. Great. Thank you for calling. Oh, you're welcome. Goodbye. We're going to go ahead and take another break here. We'll be back in a minute with Beth Rivard. On a prison farm in Georgia, close to the Florida line. Well, I've been here for two long years. I finally made the warden my friend. And so he sentenced me to a life of ease, taking care of old Red. Coming up on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. If your New Year resolve is already waning, don't worry. Coach Helene Segura joins us Monday, February 6th to say it's not when or how you start working towards your goals that counts. It's getting started and getting back on the wagon when you fall off. She'll follow up from last month's segment. And Vicki welcomes your questions about challenges and sticking to your 2017 goals. Send them to info at conversationslive.net or call Vicki at 
800-495-7617. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Northwest School of Animal Massage on Vashon Island, we cover the world of animals. This week, February 5th, it's a shortened edition of Shelter Rescue Sanctuary and Anything That Helps Our Animal Friends Sunday. We'll definitely check in with Missy's Pet Rescue in Lake City to be sure the bills are paid, and plus whatever else time allows. Tune in early as we'll finish up at 10.30. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk, 1150. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Now, Red, he's the damnedest dog that I've ever seen. Got a nose that can smell a two-day trail. He's a four-legged tracking machine. I'm Julie Forbes, your host, and we are talking with Beth Rivard, the director of the Prison Pet Partnership Program. Hi, Beth. Hey, hello. And uh, we're talking about... um, the program and and how it works and how it uh, sets the women up who work within the program for success once they re-enter society. What do they say that they get out of out of the program? What's the feedback you've heard from them from the offenders? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, feedback from the offenders. Um, I have heard them say uh, it provides me with the opportunity for unconditional love. I've heard them say um, that it's they've learned how to give back to the community. Mm-hmm. They've um, they've learned new skills. They learned more about themselves. They learned more about animals. Mm-hmm. It uh, helps them to um, be calm. Out to, to learn patience. Yeah, I remember one woman saying that um, when we were visiting and actually sitting in on a class that uh, when uh, when they were talking to us and answering our questions, that one woman said it had really taught her a lot about patience, which is a uh, is an important um, skill to have for anybody, really. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Here and and out there, and a lot of them may not have had that before they came here. So it's definitely a valuable skill to be learning. Yeah. And I've found that too myself as as a trainer working with dogs. That is something that I have to continuously presence for myself and to be really mindful about when I'm teaching a dog. And I see, you know, people when when I'm teaching people how to work with their dogs can tend to get flustered really quickly or frustrated quickly or, or, you know, start to get frantic if the dog doesn't, you know, do what you've asked them to do after, you know, just a couple times. And it's it's just, you know, I tell people a lot when I'm working with them with their dogs to be patient and to not focus so much about the end result, especially at first, that a lot of the value is actually in the process of the of the dog's learning. That That's so true. And, I, and a big part of that... Um... That I, I agree with that. I think the big part of that is is observing what the dog is doing while you're teaching them. Mm-hmm. Rather, as you said, rather than completing the task, what is the dog trying to figure out? Yeah. I mean, what is it that you're doing as a trainer that may not be providing the best cue or the best lure, the best lead to accomplish the task? It's always fascinating to me to watch the dog. Rather yep. than to see the task done, it's like, what is the dog trying to 
figure out. Yeah, and that's really what, mm-hmm. you know, what a good trainer does is right. really be super, super present to the dog and being able to identify where, you know, what is the the dog's thought process if the dog isn't doing what you've asked them to do why aren't they doing it? What do they need from you as a handler in order to be successful? Right. And so it's not just a, you know, it's a, it's a matter of having an individual understanding of the animal and, and making adjustments yourself. It's like a constant self-evaluation. <laughs> right. And if we could all just videotape ourselves when we're working with the dog, I know. we would see all of our mistakes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's just, it's such a great skill for them to learn and um and I can relate to that I mean just from what how I've noticed just people in the general public what they learn out out of learning how to really train their dog you know to a higher level of listening and a higher level of communication it's it's really great it's and it's cool to see that light go on when they kind of get like oh oh yeah to just sort of slow down and realize that you're actually communicating you're not just rattling off commands right exactly yeah yeah so um Who's the trainer that uh, that works with with the offenders? Grace Van Dyke is our uh, training coordinator. Mm-hmm. She came to us um, from the Assistance Dog Institute in California, mm-hmm. um, where she um, went through their service dog training seminar. Mm-hmm. So, and she also prior to that she worked. She's from New Orleans originally, mm-hmm. um, and she worked as a veterinary technician. And so she did a lot of behavior work and mm-hmm. uh, vet tech work. So she's um, kind of got a good, well-rounded background yeah. to help us with all of um, our training and boarding and grooming and all of that. So, uh-huh. And how long has she been with the program? She's just been with the program since, oh gosh, I'm going to say it's been since June of 2007. So almost two years. Okay. And is that... Um how how many different uh, trainers, I guess, have you had? Do they tend to stay for a while, or does it depend? Yeah, they do. Um, to, is offender trainers or non-offender trainers? Offender trainers. Offender trainers. Um, the offender trainers, um, gosh, they, they can stay for any amount of time. We've got a couple of women that have been with the program four years, um, but I would say the majority of them have just been in the last year, have just joined the program in the last year or so. Mm. Um, we've had women, we had one woman with the program for 10 years. Um, typically, I would say the average length of stay is maybe two to three years. Uh-huh. And how long does it take, how long do the dogs typically go through, how long does it take for the dogs to go through the program? That's usually about a year, about a year of uh, training the dog. Um, and kind of it, it's kind of a, I like to call it a mass customization. We kind of train all of the dogs to do the same skills, retrieve, turn on lights, open doors. And then as we kind of come to the end of the dog's training, once they've got all of those skills and commands, there's about 82 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, once they've got all of those skills and commands down, then we'll kind of we'll look through the clients on our waiting list and identify um, the dog's strengths and skills and abilities and match them with the client's skills and abilities and, and try, to try to make a good match and to create a good bond with the team. Um, and then once we've identified the client, then we'll start doing more specific training for the dog um, geared towards the needs of that client. Mm. If the client is in a 
uh, motorized wheelchair will work the dog more often in the wheelchair. If they have a speech impairment, we'll try to uh, mimic the speech pattern. If they have, um, if they use a walker or other assistive devices, we'll use those items in training the dog. Or if they have needs such as bracing to um, to, to move from chair to chair, um, we'll work with the dog on that. So we'll kind of in the last couple of months start doing more training specific for the individual. Mm-hmm. So you just sort of, you acclimate the dog to the, you know, like a wheelchair or, right, right, so that they get used to, you know, they might be used to walking with somebody on leash, but they might not be used to walking next to somebody who's rolling. Right. Yeah. And we certainly do some of that, some of that training is is involved in just the general training, but um, because they're, they're all kind of accustomed to that after, within a couple of months of coming into the, to the program, Mm -hmm. but once we get to the end, we'll just really focus the training on doing most of it from the wheelchair or most of it using the walker or mm-hmm. most of it trying to um, mimic, a, mimic a speech pattern or what have you. Mm-hmm. And do the dogs cost anything to the people who need them? We don't charge a fee for um, for getting the dog. We have a $25 application fee, mm-hmm. um, but we don't charge a fee for the dog. They mm-hmm. The clients, when they come... To, to get their dog, they are required to attend a two-week training, mm-hmm. which is here at the prison. Um, so they do have to um, they do have to be able to pay for lodging and food or what have you right. while they're here for that two-week period. Uh, we place dogs in Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, so we do have some people that come from, from a distance to get their dogs. So mm-hmm. they are here for a couple of weeks, but we do have a scholarship program, so those people who may not be able to afford um, room and board during that period can also get a scholarship through through the program to, to cover some of the costs of that as well. Okay. So um, I could just talk to you all afternoon, <laughs> Beth, about this program. I just love it. So, And I want to make sure that listeners um, get some information. We only have a couple minutes left sure. on um, how they can help support the program. What do you need? Um. Gosh, just with any nonprofit organization, we've always got um, activities going on, fundraising activities. People could always donate um, online through our website, which is prisonpetpartnership.org. Mm-hmm. Um, you can always call. We've got a wish list on our uh, on our website, and you can also call call our office at two five three eight five eight. Four two four zero to get a list of items that we're always looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our big fundraising event is coming up in May, May 30th. It's mm-hmm. our Bark and Bid dinner auction mm-hmm. uh, held here in Gig Harbor, mm-hmm. and that's also listed on our website. So we're always looking for attendees to come and have a good time and see the dogs and bid on some great auction items. Okay. Uh, and also volunteers. We can, uh, big part of our program is um, we rely on community volunteers taking the dogs out to grocery stores, yeah. shopping malls. Um, obviously, we can't do that here in the facility, so we really could always use some volunteers willing to take dogs out for socialization or vet appointments or yep. um, all of that. Always have wonderful, wonderful group of volunteers in our program. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Beth. It was great talking to you today about the Prison Pet Partnership Program. You can find them online at prisonpetpartnership.org. And thanks, too, to Jane with Project Unconditional. Be sure to see her at Elliott Bay Books in Seattle, February 6th at 7 p.m. 
and third place books in Lake Forest Park on February 17th at 6.30 p.m. These events will benefit Old Dog Haven. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.